What kind of bad news would ruin your day? And we're all wired a little bit differently, so this is different for each one of us. But you know, for some of us, it's if our favorite football team loses, you know, basketball team, football team, then your day is shot. You know, your season is over, and you have to wait till next year to enjoy life again. And uh, for some, if your candidate loses, you know, if it's election time and your candidate loses, I remember the first time in sixth grade when, when. Uh, our school and our class put on this big, you know, mock election, and and um, I got to play one of the candidates, you know, for president, and I lost. And uh, talk about how shattering that was for me as an individual. But uh, you know, the great future of the loser, you know. But uh, but you know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in things like politics, even you know that um, you know when our candidate loses, it just kind of rocks our world. Um, for sometimes it's, it's just bad news about real tough things that happen in life. You know, you hear about somebody connected to you that's hurting and it just, it really ruins your day. Sometimes it's your grades, maybe you're a student and you got an A minus and so your, your world is kind of rocked upside down because you can't handle that. And uh, for some it's, you know, a C minus and you're okay with that. And, and so, <clears throat> well, what if you found out that the house you grew up in you know, you have all these memories. It burned down. Imagine the house you grew up in. You, you know, for for me, I played baseball in the backyard. Although the backyard didn't burn down, I guess. But lots of memories, playing ball inside, running around with guns, and you know, memories of Christmases, all these different things. I find out my house burns down. That's kind of a bad day, you know. All the memories I can't go back and visit anymore. Well. That's kind of like what happened in Nehemiah's case. Okay? Nehemiah was a man who lived a long time ago. And in a sense, a lot of memories, things that he'd heard about growing up, stories of how God had provided for his people, um, <clears throat> all those memories, in a sense, were tied up in Jerusalem. And God's people were taken captive, sent out of their land. And so Nehemiah is a man who grew up in a foreign land. And <clears throat> he gets news that, Jerusalem was being rebuilt, but the wall around Jerusalem was burned down. Okay, so all the memories of the stories that he had, his his forefathers, all these things, everything was in ruin basically, and and it it brought him to tears. The scripture says, and to prayer. And so last week we looked at how he spent days in prayer, and he was just asking God, "What do I do? What do I do, God?" And so I want to check back in with Nehemiah in Nehemiah chapter two and going to read, let's just check this out together, Nehemiah chapter 2, and we're going to quickly walk through his story and then talk about how does this apply to us, um, because there's, we're going to be working back and forth between his story and our life as well. So, Nehemiah 2, verse 1 through 8, it says, in the month of N- Nisan, not the car, but the Jewish month, <clears throat> basically that's four months after he started praying about the need for the wall to be rebuilt. It says, in the, in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought from, for him, I took the wine and I gave it to the king. And I had not been sad in his presence before. He's a cupbearer. He's the poison checker for the king. That's his job. Verse 2 says, So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. Because Nehemiah actually let the the memories of Jerusalem and the fact that the wall and protection around the city of, of you know, God's people was destroyed, 
He let that really get to him. He let it impact him. Last week we talked about needs. It's okay to allow needs to impact us. It was obvious to the king something was wrong. And so it says, I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? And then I prayed to the God of heaven. He's basically saying, please, God, help me. And I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah, that's Jerusalem, where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. And then the king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me, and so I set a time. I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I also have letters to the, to the governors of the trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah. And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the king's forest, so that he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was upon me, the king granted my requests. This may seem insignificant to you, this story. Okay, some guy, he's sad about a city that's burned down. It really had great significance for this man and for God's people that the city of Jerusalem be rebuilt, the temple be rebuilt, and the wall be rebuilt because the wall signified not only protection, but it signified God's reputation. Whenever there's a city wall up, it, it, it symbolized that this is a safe haven in a sense. This is protected. And so Nehemiah couldn't handle the fact that God's town was in shambles. And God you know, gave him courage to ask the king for a few things. One, he says, can I take a leave of absence, go and lead the charge for, for my people to rebuild this wall? Can I have protection? Um, he asked him, you know, can you send me with some officials who can keep me from, from the enemies that might you know, oppose us? And also he, he said, you know, he threw another prayer up and he asked, by the way, can I have all the resources to rebuild this wall? And the king grants it, which is unusual. Here's a foreign king, a Persian king, granting this Jewish man the, the resources, everything needed to rebuild. You know, this is, this is huge. And we don't have time to really go into the significance of this, um, the pattern, but God always places people in the right place to accomplish His works. Through the course of history, if you just look back, the story after story of God, He places His people in high places, and he would just do major things to advance his kingdom purpose. Um, the rest of this chapter, chapter 2, I'm just going to summarize it. Um, he gets permission to go, and so he and these officials head off back to Jerusalem. Okay, And he gets into the city, and first thing he does is he rides around, and he's inspecting the city wall. He's looking around, and um, certain areas were so damaged that he couldn't get by, so he had to take different routes, the Scripture says. And he just sees, okay, I, I notice what needs to be done. This place needs this. This place needs this. This has got to completely be rebuilt. Some, some sections of the wall weren't as bad as others. But then what he does is he rallies God's people. He goes to them and he says, here's why I'm here. I'm here to rebuild the wall and God's given us the resources to do it. Let's do this together. And there's about 50,000 uh, Jewish individuals in Jerusalem at this point, and 
he says, you know, let's, let's work together to accomplish this major task. And then you have this verse in, in chapter 2, verse 18. I also told them about the gracious hand of my God upon me and what the king had said. And then they replied, let us start rebuilding. So they began this good work. So they, I mean, it wasn't this big, you know, experience where they had the celebration. They just said, okay, let's do it, you know. Let's rebuild this wall together. And then verse 19 and 20, they face opposition. We're not going to really look at that, but there's people that did not want to see this work take place. What I want to do is I want to draw some lessons from this story, especially the next chapter. Chapter 3 is a very, very dull chapter, so we're not going to go through it verse by verse because it's a list of names and locations. It basically says this guy worked on this part of the wall, and then next to him was this guy, and he worked on this part of the wall. And then there was this guy, and he worked. It's just this big, long list of names. And so I want to draw a few lessons from it. The first thing is this, and you'll find this in your listening guide. It's all people are needed. All people are needed. In Nehemiah's case, you know, he expressed the need, and everybody got involved. He said, yeah, let's rebuild the wall together. And these were not just people with a construction background. These were... All different kinds of people. Entire families got involved. Look at chapter 3, verse 12. Just a sample of one of the verses. It says, Shalom, son of Halahesh, ruler of a half district of Jerusalem. So a pretty powerful guy. Repaired the next section with the help of his daughters. No one was insignificant. You know, most of the lists of names just kind of give us family names. But this verse, it says, you know, he got his daughters involved in the rebuilding. What this tells us is that, you know, almost every person was pitching in to help. You know, there was kids involved in this process. And this is pretty powerful. And apply that to our situation and as a local church, a local gathering of God's people. Everybody is needed. All people are really needed. Think about our sports camp. For those of you who weren't a part of our, our church in the summertime, we have a, a sports camp that we've done two years in a row. The first year we were able to reach 100, family, 100 uh, elementary age children. The next year it was like 215 or something. But what it did was it just gave this opportunity for everybody that wanted to be involved to get involved. There was, there was room for, for all involvement. Even if you're a little kid, you can invite your friends to our sports camp. If you're older, you can be involved in helping the coach to run with teams, you know. And, you know, people were just giving behind the scenes resources. Food, um, money, drinks, secure, we had a security force, you know, so the bigger guys, you know, were able to do what they do, scare away the, the bad folks, you know. But, uh, but it was just a great picture of all people are needed, you know. You, you saw kind of this massive force of OCC, God's church in this area, or in, you know, that we call OCC, to pull something off together. In Nehemiah's case, this is very much what he, he got to see happen. He saw everyone pitching in. Um, Romans 12, 4 through 8, it talks about this. And I want to hop back and forth between the story of Nehemiah and some New Testament passages that really draw out the significance of working together and rallying together. So look at this verse. It says, Just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we who are many form one body. And each member belongs to all the others. This is a really interesting passage. And then it goes on and says, We have different gifts according to the grace given us. If a man's gift is prophesying, 
Let him use it in proportion to his faith. If it is serving, let him serve. If it is teaching, let him teach. If it is encouraging, let him encourage. If it is contributing to the needs of others, let him give generously. If it is leadership, let him govern diligently. If it is showing mercy, let him do it cheerfully. This is one of three lists of spiritual gifts that you find in the Scripture. You find this list, you find one in 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and also in Ephesians chapter 4. But what you see is in all these three passages that list out all the spiritual gifts, is um, there's about, about 20 different spiritual gifts, different abilities that God gives us through His Holy Spirit. For those of us who've decided to follow Him and Jesus Christ has come into your life, the Holy Spirit has brought and given you some things to help you accomplish greater things as we work together. Some, some of you are servants. Some of you have the gift of service. Some of you are encouragers. Some of you are givers. Some of you are, um, have the gift of leadership, of teaching, you know, hospitality. There's just these different lists. And in Nehemiah, again, you have this really powerful picture of everybody pitching in. And here at OCC, all people are still needed. We need the most diverse group of people to accomplish the mission that Jesus Christ has given us, to reach families, to help individuals come to know Him, to meet needs in our community. We just need a large, diverse group of individuals. It takes all kinds to reach all kinds. And um, probably one of the most challenging times in our church was when we just started. We had just started and there was about ten adults and maybe maybe a few others, but we were this small group of people trying to accomplish a, a significant task to get a church off the ground and to reach out with just a small group of people was very difficult because everybody had to pitch in um, and we were lacking certain things that we really needed. And so as God added to our number, um, it allowed us to really accomplish more. Each family that came or each individual that came, it, it, it sharpened our efforts. It, it made us more well-rounded. But when we were small... When there was ten of us, you know, we were pretty limited in what we could do. And we were trying things. Some of us were trying things way out of our gifting and our abilities and our comfort level. And God used it. But as we've grown larger, it gives us the ability to really focus in on specific things more effectively. And here's another thing that you can draw from this, um, this Nehemiah 2 and 3 is diversity can really strengthen our efforts. The more diverse we are, the stronger and the more sharp and focused we can become. Diversity scares people, though. Um, what you have, though, in chapter 3 is this just comprehensive list of different individuals, different teams of builders on the wall. Some rebuilt gates. Some rebuilt, just rebuilt parts of the walls. You know, they're working stones and, you know, just laying stones where they needed to be and stacking them. Others... You know, had the skills to get different things done. Look at in Nehemiah three four. Look at how the work was divided this way. It says, Merimoth, son of Urian, the son of Hekaz, repair the next section. Next to him, we should just give these guys American names. Next to him, Michael, son of Ben, the son of Matthew. Somebody, I'm going to get in trouble for this somehow, but made repairs, and next to him, Zach, we'll call him Zach, son of another guy, Ben, also made repairs. I could give you the Hebrew definitions of those if you like, but, but 
But the point isn't so much who these names are. The significance is, again, there's just this diverse group of people. You know, some of them, if you were to look at who these people were and take the names and try to trace what they did, because the Scriptures give us clues to who these guys, who these individuals are and what their families were capable of doing. You'd see some of them were priests, some were cooks, some were shepherds, some were into construction, some were musicians. There's just this diverse group of people, and what they did is they banded together to get the whole job done. And that's what's amazing, I think, in the story of Nehemiah. But diversity, again, can scare us. And so here's two things we have to watch out for. One is comparison. Comparison. Watch out for comparison. We're a diverse crowd of people. And so it's easy to compare the way God has wired you to the person sitting next to you, or me to you, and to begin to think, you know what, um, I'm, I'm not as important as, as those folks. The more we stare at others and the way God has wired other people, it's easy to just get um, dissatisfied with how he's made us. Again, just point you to a New Testament passage, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 16 through 20. It says this, <clears throat> it says, and if the ears, talking about how we are like a body, a functioning physical body in a sense, that's how we are as a church. It says, think about this, if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? He's speaking about diversity here. As it is, there are many parts, but one body. In our needs at OCC, it really takes all different kinds of people for us to function fully as a body. And doing church as a team isn't just one person, me, the pastor doing a hundred different things, but it's you know it's a hundred plus people doing one thing well. And you know as we started, everybody kind of did have to do a lot of different duties, several different duties. But we're growing to the point where we need we need people just pitching in, focusing on a few things really well. And <clears throat> again, comparison is one thing that can really tear our efforts down. Um, God, you know, God is not into making clones. We're not the same. We don't look the same because he never intended us to be the same. God, you know, he's placed us all with just a real, real different mix of individuals. We have gifts like he talks about the spiritual gifts. We also have abilities. We've got experiences in our backgrounds. We've got, you know, just, um, you know, we come from different places. All of that really, really helps us be more effective. Um, another thing you need to watch out for beyond just comparing yourself to other people is arrogance. Arrogance is anytime we boost our gifts and our personality above other people's. And what that does is it's just really dangerous. It ends up tearing down. Whenever we say, you know, I don't really, or we don't need this person, or we don't need you, we don't need your type of personality, we don't, we don't need this kind of person, uh, we end up really, really damaging the whole. And that's what this says. Paul goes on. That passage I just read in 1 Corinthians, it continues. It says, The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. And the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. 
And the parts that we think are less honorable, we treat with special honor. And the parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. See, what you have in a physical body is you have a working physical body. And there's protection. The parts protecting each other. Certain ones, you know, that are really honorable, you know, that... In a in a church uh, in a church environment, we we need to see this same consideration for each other. We have to be careful with arrogance. This is just a really powerful picture of interdependence. Look at how it goes on. It says, "While our presentable verse twenty four, while our presentable parts need no special treatment, but God, He has combined the members of the body and has given greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body." but that its parts should have equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. So, again, no one is unimportant. We have to be really careful in the way we interact with each other. But the church is just, it's amazing. The more I'm a part of a church, the more I'm investing myself in our church, the more I, I am amazed at how God has designed the church to function. And, you know, church isn't just a pastor's job. The, it's interesting. If you look at the Scriptures, the role that He's assigned to me is a specific role of, of equipping. In, in Ephesians chapter 4, it talks about um, the role of the minister or the pastor is, is to equip the saints. Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. And the word equip... What it means, it's a Greek word that talks about mending something. Oftentimes when the word comes up in the Bible, it's talking about mending nets. Because a lot of the you know, people in those days were fishermen, so it was a, a good illustration to use. But for those fishermen, sometimes their nets would scrape along the bottom of the sea and the rocks would tear their nets. And so they needed to mend their nets, obviously, before they go out the next time they launch their boat, right? So the role of the pastor is to, is to do that, is to mend in a sense. It's to equip, it's to work with you, to train in a sense, to shape perspective on what God has to say so that as we are going about our lives and our ministries, we're more effective to reach more people. Mending the nets, the idea, the picture there is you want to continue to be able to fish for as many fish as you can. But, you know... God has designed us as a body to get ministry accomplished. Every single person that has committed their life to Christ, you're actually a full-time minister. You might not think of yourselves as that, but the Scripture says you're full-time in ministry. And what God has done is He's spread out all these full-time ministers in our community. Some of you are in, you know, employed by grocery stores. Some of you are employed in construction. Some of you work for the post office. Some of you, you know, work for businesses. But he spread us out. He sprinkled ministers throughout this community to get things done, to get work accomplished. Uh, we, we moved here with a real burden to reach families and individuals that didn't know Jesus Christ, to help people that had very little church background, to connect with God. And um, that overwhelms me if I think I'm supposed to do that. But what really... Um, energizes me is when we work together, is when I see God helping people or involving other people in this process of folks coming to know Jesus Christ. It's just a powerful thing. Um, I woke up early this morning, a little earlier than I normally would, and 
I was thinking about this family that I recently met here at the community center at a, an event that I was attending. And I met this family, very different than me, very, very different. Ethnically, um, just the way they do their life, there's just a lot socioeconomically very different than me. Um, kind of the point where I was thinking, that guy probably wouldn't want to relate to me because, um, you know, he's a doctor and, and I'm not. And, you know, I feel like we're going to miss each other on certain on certain things if we were to talk too much. But one of the things that God was doing, I think, was he was reminding me of just this principle that, you know what, you don't have to, it's not your responsibility, Josh, to help everybody in Riverside or in this community to come to know Jesus. That your, your responsibility is, is to do what you can, to reach the people that you can. There's, there's people in this room, some of you are going to be so much more effective at reaching that guy that, that God's given me a burden to get to know. My, my role, oftentimes, is I meet someone, I start getting to know them, and then I hand that off to somebody who's a better, uh, you know, and I'll share if I can, if God opens the door, but I can hand it to somebody who's, who God may really use to help them come to know Him or to minister to them as a family. But just, I mean, <clears throat> this is a powerful thing to, to get a hold of as a church. If we'll, if we'll not react to the diversity, but if we'll recognize, man, we can get so much accomplished. I mean, just take a look around. Honestly, I mean, literally, take a look around. You have different age groups represented here. You have different ethnic groups represented here. Different stages of life represented here. You know, sometimes you're meeting somebody and you're thinking, I have nothing in common. But I, I, now I tend to think, I don't have anything in common with this person, but I know lots of people who are very, very similar. And so now my job is to work together with the body that God has placed placed around us. One of the things is God is not trying to get us to all be the same. There are some things that He wants us to have in common. I was studying this this morning as I was reflecting on it. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4 that, you know, he, that God has wired us as a body together. And there, here's our common ground. I'm just going to read this. You don't have this, but it says, Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient. Bearing with one another. Just talking about our relationships to each other. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. There's our common ground. There's one body and one Spirit. Just as you were called to one hope when you were called. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is in, who is over all and through all and in all. That's our common ground. We have a Savior. who that, That's our common ground. God wants us to rally and be unified around those things. But then the verse in the passage goes on. It says, To each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. And then he describes all the different gifts, again, that God spreads out through the Spirit, through His Spirit in our lives. Some of you are into teaching. Some of you are into serving. Some of you are hospitable. There's all these different gifts. And what God is going to do, if we'll allow Him to, is he'll, if we'll be unified and understand the power of our diversity, we can get so much more accomplished. So that, that's something you see in the story of Nehemiah that I really wanted to draw out. The last thing is this. Regardless of our gifting, service has the highest value. God has given you specific gifts, but He has commanded us all to be servants. And He places a much, much higher emphasis on serving than He does on you um, just operating with your gifts. Serving involves getting past ourselves loving and serving and caring about people where they're at with what is needed. 
You know, we have certain needs in the congregation right now because of our size. Um, that those are our real needs. And so sometimes when, when, when we grow, we still need to take care of the needs. We still need, to, we need people to serve in different, in different roles. Look at Nehemiah 3.20. They're rebuilding the wall and it says there's this guy. It says, next to him, Baruch, son of Zabai, zealously repaired another section. From the angle to the entrance of the house of Elishab, the high priest. Baruch was a man that he got even more done than others. He was building on the wall in one section, and then it says he zealously repaired another section. Um, so he didn't just do the bare minimums, but when he was done with his section, he got working on another. The word zealously repaired, the Hebrew, it implies that he was working so fast that he was heating up. It's a sense that he was, the, the words literally say he was glowing warm. It's because he was getting so much done. That he was just, you know, when you get after things, sometimes you break a sweat and you get hot. Baruch was a guy that was getting a lot done because he understood, I just need to serve right now. It may not have been within his gifting, but he was pouring himself out to help rebuild this wall for the sake of the mission. And, you know, what a joy it is for us to see this. There are people in the congregation that just bear a tremendous weight of responsibility. They, they voluntarily take on significant um, loads to carry that need to be done. Sometimes the need is it comes up to our church or it's just identified and they come and they say, I, I'd really like to serve in this way. They're not getting any credit. Oftentimes, many many times, it's, it's unknown to, to all of you, but there are people that just go out of their way to serve and to get more done. And this is something we need to just be reminded of. His service has a tremendously high value in the kingdom. Um, we're going to skip that next verse. But the last thing is this. I've been, as I've been studying through the book of Nehemiah, what I have seen is all of our heart attitudes, we have seven heart attitudes as a church, and all of them exist within this story. Um, so this story really represents heart attitude number five, which is this. Participate in the ministry of the church. This is something that we value. If you're a member of our church, then you're familiar with this statement. This is a commitment you've made to work together with us on is to, in some way to participate in the ministry of the church, is to carry some part of the load that we're, that we're carrying together to accomplish what God's doing among us. 1 Peter 4.10 says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. What we're trying to do is we're trying to um, help get everybody involved in serving. And over time with serving, you begin to learn about your gifts and others recognize your gifts. And then we want to move you into areas of gifting. But your gifts are always to serve others. It's not ever to serve ourselves. Every time we're talked about gifting in the scriptures, you, you read the, the conditions or you read the descriptions. It says, you know, if it's teaching, let them teach others. If it's serving, let them serve others. If it's giving, let them give to others generously. It's all about others. It's not about, you know... Let him give so he can get pats on the back. Let him serve so that people can recognize and praise him. It's all about other people. And so when we use our gifts, it's, it's to benefit other people. Um, I want to show you a, a video here. We do some different things each Sunday that require just, you know, a team of volunteers. And so I wanted to say thanks to all of you that are serving um, and also just to share with you some of what our needs are. So take a look at this video.
think that at church we're, we're meant to worship together, but we're also meant to serve together. So when you're actually working and together in the morning, setting things up, you get to know other people better, you get to work alongside them, and, and you're serving um, not only each other, but also God. I get to take part of, of the of the worship. You know, I'm not on the stage, I'm not the one playing the guitar, I'm not the one preaching, but I'm giving God what I can give Him, and that's my ability to use my hands and my, my legs and just put things up and, and see how it benefits the people who are doing the leadership. fun to help set up, to really just be part of a team, part of the community. You really feel like you're involved in what's going on and it's just nice to lend a helping hand in early morning. Well, it's nice to be able to meet some of the other guys in church, and uh, you know, just really share life as we're as we're setting up and kind of feel a little more connected to all the people uh, in the church. I think one of the biggest benefits is that you get to meet a lot of people. Um, you get to meet other team members and whoever you're serving with, and there's just a sense of like everyone coming together to pull this thing off. And so you get you get to work together as part of the team to be a part of what we're doing here, which is really a great thing. To those of you who serve, we just want to say thanks. We really, you know, this is our version of building a wall together in a sense. You know, we come together because what we're doing impacts, it will impact generations upon generations. And that God moves his message through people, not through places or buildings, but it's through people. And so we as a church, you know, we function as you as we get involved, as we work together. And so to those of you who are in the nursery, changing diapers, cleaning up spit up, you know, you know, all of that, you know, working with your hands to build what we do up here, setting up, signing, 
You know, we're just so grateful. There's there's a variety of people that serve, and there's a variety of teams that function within our church. And so, um, the guys that run the sound, you know, all of our band, all of our teachers, everybody greeting. Uh, I don't know if I've hit everybody. The guys that pull the trailer, everybody sets up the coffee, the decor. It takes a lot of people to accomplish what we're doing, and I know I'm leaving some out, but we want to thank you. And and again. Um, those needs will will never really go away as long as we're. I mean, they may change, but the needs are are they continue. And so we'd love to include more people in this. Um, Taylor, niece. I'm going to ha- ask him to get up and head to the resource table, um, at, so you can see who he is, and then look for that guy. Um, but he'll be at the resource table with um, information about four different ministry teams that are places for you to just begin to serve if you would like to serve. Um, there's different styles of service, in a sense. So if, you, if you're wired in a certain way and you like to pitch in that way, he'll tell you about the four different options that we usually start most people on. So let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you so much for just the things, the, the stories in your word, Lord, and the different lessons that you have for us. God, you want us to function as a unified body, but you have made us so, so diverse. And that that is powerful if we'll get a hold of it, Lord. Not just so that we can have church on Sundays, because that is important to come and worship you, but to reach more people, it's going to take a very, very diverse group. And so, Lord, would you help us to function as a body, help us to embrace each other and to care about um, the different people that you've placed in our lives, Lord, for for the sake of your mission and for your glory, God. We give you thanks for this day, Lord, we continue to look to you for wisdom as we move forward as a church. In Jesus' name, amen.